100 years, the gridiron has tested the will, commitment, and fortitude of two schools separated only by 55 miles of Highway 85. I was in a bind in the middle of the year, so I said, Mel, how about uh, you coming over and uh, you had some a athletic experiences. Why don't you come over and do, do the coach? will run behind number 46. That's William Simpson, the move by Martin. See you later. Touchdown. We start quarter number two from midfield. A gaping hole for John May Martin. Dr. Johnson and I, you know, in collaborating on this project, hmm, uh, both having attended North Carolina, because I am an alum of North Carolina Central, understood and grew up with this rivalry in terms of the importance of it to both cities and both communities. To the quarterback. He got caught standing at the quarterback, and Mark just ran right by him. coming down to this final drive, and it's what I do. And that's what I want. I want the ball in my hand, because I want the storyline to be Hooker helps to drive and tee back, right? The whole scene is set. I used to play pretty good against them. I used to play really, really good against them. I think I, I, I didn't enjoy that uh, Kelly Stadium they had up there. I thought the fans was too close to you, you know, because they yell stuff at you, throw stuff at you, go buy a cup of soda, drink part of them. The other half, they're going to hit you in the back of the head with it. It was my third year when I was the drum major when we actually played them. And I think the rivalry got a little stronger back in, in the 90, early 90s. I think something happened at a basketball game, and, and then everything was, you know, anti against Central. It's the exhilaration, the intensity, the agony of defeat. It can sometimes interrupt friendships, yet build traditions. It's simply the greatest HBCU rivalry in the nation. North Carolina A&T versus North Carolina Central, the Ag Eagle Classic. I learned how to write a check by coming to A&T. Sounds very simple, but here I am, um, almost about to graduate, and not having any idea how to write, write a check. An instructor, Dr. John Morris um, in manufacturing, asked me if I knew how to write a check. I don't know why he asked me, but he did, and I didn't. And he took the time out to sit down and have him show me how to write a check. As a matter of fact, he had me a stack of bills <laughs> and his checkbook, <laughs> and I wrote, I wrote check. So once he learned out that I, I did, once he uh, became aware that I did not know how to write checks. He taught me how, and then also reinforced <laughs> that, that 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 teaching as well. And I have to say another thing about uh, Dr. Morgan. Another, there are a couple other instructors too I can even even mention. But I can recall, and this actually goes back to the Central game. Prior to the start of the season, no one knew this. Still, my roommate is the only person that knows this. I broke my right foot prior to preseason camp so I came in I had a cast on coaches teammates no one knew that my foot was broken I had the cast on maybe two days I took the cast I cut the cast off and um, I went through summer camp 
and three days, two days, and preparing myself as normal, killing me, killing my foot. But it, that's how much the robbery <laughs> me, meant. But also, um, that game against Central, I go in and going after the quarterback again. I break, I dive over the top again. Dive over the top legally this time. I, and I reform, and somehow I, I miss, but I come down, I land awkward on my hand. So um, another injury. So I ended up breaking my right foot prior to the season and broke my right hand um, during the Central um, and ANT game. But I say that to talk about the instructors. Um, we had a paper that was due the following week. And I went to class because my hand was in a cast now. And Dr. Moore's um, manufacturing asked me what was my paper, what was my assignment. And this was for, you know, typewriters and stuff. You know, we had to you know, pretty much you wrote your papers out. So me being who I thought I was, I raised my hand, you know, with the cast on this big club. I'm like, you know, hey, can't you see? You know, my hand is broken. I can't write. And he simply looked at me very serious. I mean, very stern look. It's like, what's wrong with your left hand? And I said, nothing. He made me get up, leave, and do not come back to his class until I have that paper written. Told me to write it with my left hand and do not come back. So when I say about the experiences, there was no excuse that you could give him that was good enough to be acceptable. So you always have to find a way. So we talk about life, life preparations. There's always a way. There's always a way. You know, whether it's around, under, or over top, but there's always a way to get things done. You can hear the history. You can feel the passion. That was Aggie great Demetrius Harrison talking about the history of the Aggie Eagle Classic. Two schools separated by just 54 miles. They recruited the same players. You have folks from the Triad Greensboro area who attended North Carolina Central and folks from the Triangle Durham area who attended North Carolina a and I'm Rodney Dawson, host of History Notes, where we are talking about more than just a game. The history of the Aggie Eagle Classic, where best friends became rivals during game time, families became rivals, and over 100 years of playing football against one another. It started out as the Turkey Classic, played on Thanksgiving Day, and has become an event generating millions of dollars for two institutions. We will hear from Aggie greats, including Aggie Hall of Famers Alan Hooker, Spencer Gwynn, who called over 50 years of games along with his cohort, Dr. Mel Swan Jr., Dr. Swan and Spencer were both educators by trade. My daughter's middle school is named after Mel Swan Jr., who was also a proud Kappa man, Kappa Alpha Psi, one of the divine nine black Greek letter organizations of which I claim membership. The Aggie Eagle Classic brought celebration and opportunity for all of the divine nine organizations, the schools, the band members, cheerleaders. It was a celebration of African-American culture, not unlike many classics, such as the Bayou Classic between Southern and Grambling State, or the Magic City Classic where Alabama A&M and Alabama State collide. These events became black pageantry, where alumni from all over the country returned to these cities to see old classmates, friends, sorority sisters, and fraternity brothers. It became the event for the local African-American community. So you didn't have to actually go to said school to be an Aggie or an Eagle or a Ram. You just loved and rooted for your hometown school. 
you danced and expressed yourself through how you styled your hair, the clothing, the paraphernalia. You repped your school. It was uh, a celebration of culture. It just so happens the biggest, in my opinion, occurs here in the Piedmont of North Carolina between North Carolina a and Aggie Pride, and North Carolina Central. Let us hear more from players like Richard Lyde. He played in uh, 89 and 93, I think, and Dexter Feaster and Maurice Mo Smith, who played in the mid-90s, and former drum major Roosevelt Pratt Jr., and more. We had lost, I think, three in a row to Central. And uh, and so Coach, Coach Hayes was really, really intense um, that week. Um, that was my freshman year, redshirt freshman year. And uh, I can remember um, the difference between high school and uh, college was just the preparation. Cause we went over plays uh, like seemed like a million times. Um, Coach Hayes um, went to Central, so he didn't want to lose. And so he told us we weren't going to lose. <laughs> so <clears throat> Excuse me. That was uh, one game that I know for a fact that we had to win. My next experience was the first time we went to Durham to play North Carolina Central. This was really interesting as well because what happened was we played them in Wallace Wade Stadium, okay? And uh, we was out there. I don't know how it happened, but it was a timeout or something, and I thought it was scripted or something. But anyway, this gentleman drove a car onto the field. The car was a Pontiac Le Mans. It was burgundy and gray. Okay? And when he got out, he had on a suit that was burgundy and gray. And we all looked at each other like, are they serious? Do you know? That's when I knew how crazy and wild it would be playing North Carolina Central. <laughs> it was my third year when I was the drum major when we actually played them. And I think the robbery got a little stronger back in, in the 90, early 90s think something happened at a basketball game and, and then everything was you know, anti against Central. But the time when I was here, it was definitely a band battle more than anything. Talking about the legendary Aggie Eagle Classic, that was uh, Roosevelt Pratt Jr. He was the one I was referring to, whom I was referring to uh, that was a drum major for North Carolina A&T and his buddy, best friend, was the drum major at the same time, I think between 89 and 93, somewhere around there but he was the drum major for North Carolina Central. And they both went to the same high school, E.E. E. Smith in Fayetteville, and became rivals during this rivalry. Many stories like that. We're going to hope to talk to uh, Spencer Gwynn before we get out of here, as well as some of the players going back to the 60s as well. And uh, we're going to talk about Dr. Johnson or talk to Dr. Johnson, who's on, whom is that? he's at Central. And then Dr. Arwen Smallwood at A&T, they got together, had a conversation. And Dr. Smallwood, He's the head of um, history and political science over at AT. Great program that he's running. He puts out a, a wonderful product and wonderful people. So they're going to be our guests continuing on this History Notes episode. More than just a game, the history of the Aggie Eagle Classic. Aggie Pride, I got to say. And uh, come back after the break. Take the history in a place like this, famous for all of the learning tools of yesteryear, and then connect the generations together including the diverse and digital learners of today. 
The Greensboro History Museum Education Webinar Series. Engage, learning, and beyond. Let's go. Look for the upcoming episode, The Story of a Holocaust Survivor, Parts 1 and 2, a History Note special feature. Get it wherever you get your podcasts by conducting a search for History Notes or simply go to www.greensborohistory.org. The Story of a Holocaust Survivor, Parts 1 and 2, features Shelley Weiner, who evaded the advances of the Nazi army in Eastern Europe in the early 1940s at the onset of World War II. Hear from Shelley Weiner and what happened to her family and many, many more in the story of a Holocaust survivor, parts one and two, a History Notes episode. Welcome back to this edition of History Notes. With this episode, we are examining the history of the Aggie Eagle Classic and its significance to the two schools involved, North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central. Rich and deep history with both institutions of higher learning. And once again, I'm Rodney Dawson, your host, and I've been graciously helped out by hearing from former players like Dexter Feaster, Mo Smith, and others. And later on, we'll hear from a standout all-around player from the 1960s. I've seen Raheem Razak, formerly known as Willie Pearson Jr. He talks about how he became an Aggie. Uh, but first, I want us to hear a conversation between two great minds, Dr. Arwen Smallwood at T or A&T or North Carolina A&T, I should say, for those not very familiar with the school, and Dr. Charles Johnson with North Carolina Central University that you might hear me refer to as just plain Central, where my mother attended her first two years of college before transferring to Winston-Salem State University, another fine HBCU who claims a rivalry of their own with A&T. Doctors Johnson and Smallwood discuss more of the historical aspect of the classic. You can go to our YouTube channel via our website at greensborohistory.org or go to YouTube and uh, put in, in the input bar, put a search for Greensboro History Museum and search for more than just a game, the history of the Aggie Eagle Classic for the extended conversation. But for now, let's hear from Dr. Johnson and Dr. Smallwood. Dr. Johnson and I, you know, in collaborating on this project, mm -hmm. uh, both having attended North Carolina, because I am an alum of North Carolina right. Central, understood and grew up with this rivalry in terms of the importance of it to both cities and both communities. And then going to a place like Columbus and getting involved with that, you know, that rivalry in terms mm -hmm. of the interest between Ohio State and the team up north, right. um, you know, really kind of, uh, you know, bear these similarities and yet these differences. And it's one of the things that really kind of helped to fuel me and my interest in promoting and talking about and documenting and working with Dr. Johnson to document this uh, noted and famed record. Okay. Well, let's get into some questions. Sure. And, and, and as I'm asking, you can shoot back and forth, you know, you're the gentleman you will, okay. if, when you wish to. Um, but like I mentioned before, it's nearly 100 years old. In 2024, we'll reach 100 years. Well, actually, we, uh, we're, you know, we found, we discovered a game over the summer doing research that we played uh, in 1922. Okay. Up here at Greensboro. So um, we were, North Carolina Central uh, has gone through a number of name changes over the years. And uh, the name changed from the National Religious Training School of Chautauqua to the National Training School in 1915. Uh, and it remained that through up to 1923. But in 1922, the National Training School came mm -hmm. up here, played Ante, and the Aggies won that 26 0. 26-0. 26-0. And uh, y'all helped me out on time, but the first name you mentioned, I remember reading, and I saw that first name, Chautauqua. Is that Andy. why that name? 
Well, with James, some of the founder of uh, North Carolina Central was James Edward Shepherd. We was established in 1910, and Dr. Shepherd was one of the one of the major challenges that we have as a people. And this is a period to contextualize this. Uh, Rayford Logan, eminent uh, historian of African American experience, said this was the nadir. This period we're talking about for Black people, 1865 to about 1912. So Central North Carolina, what's North Carolina Central today was was about 1910. We had very real problems of literacy and also with uh, our religious leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know the Chautauqua movement was one where you were having uh, religious meetings and gatherings outdoors and so forth. Uh, and North Carolina College ends up it, it emerges out of that. So, but uh, there are many schools, as you well know, that kind of started from. Uh, with the religious paper let off similar. Yeah, same here at yeah. Bennett, Bennett College for Women. Uh, so with that being said, we know A&T started in 1891. Mm. And so with A&T getting a, what, 30-year jump, nearly a 30-year jump right, on right. Central, um, did that contribute? We, we talked about pulling from the same players. Right, right. Mm -hmm. What about the foundation? Uh, what else contributed to the specialness of the robbery, Dr. Smoker? Well, I, I actually think that... Um, that what really intensified the rivalry, you know, we had that first game. I think Central and A&T both prided themselves on being significant institutions in the state cops and A&T being older and basically the big brother, you know, to, to North Carolina Central. But uh, the year after that first game in 1922, they did not play. And A&T was crowned, you know, uh, the best team in North Carolina. Now, I'm sure that helped in some way to fuel this rivalry because I'm sure at North Carolina Central, you know, how can you be the best team in, in North Carolina? And they did not play that year. You know, how can you be crowned the best team? And so then the following year, of course, we, we started, it, it picks up again and we see them playing again. And then uh, your rivalries are always about coaches. And you brought up at the start about a private state community, about Willie Hayes and, you know, both, you know, the different uh, coaches. Coaches can really. You want to use any coaches? Coaches feel these rivalries. You know, mm -hmm. coaches can feel these rivalries, and I think that um, you know that that's kind of more of it than you know the you know the, the old history of A&T. Although I do believe that when Central was founded, it was founded as a private institution, right. and and it's founded by you know again we know that Durham had more black millionaires. Uh, than anywhere else in the country um, after Tulsa and the Tulsa race riot, I mean, uh, Durham stood out. So mm -hmm. we talk about North Carolina mutual life and the, the, the black middle and upper class in Durham and that school, Central being basically a private elite school, it kind of gets into your Duke, Carolina, into your Auburn, Alabama type rivalries, right? That you got this kind of private elite group. And then you got a state school, which is, you know, really servicing kind of a farming community. So you have that classic clash between agricultural and technical and then, uh, you know, the up, the, lib the liberal arts, you know, kind of philosophy and history and, and law. And so that's what I would say, kind of how we see things going. And, and, and that kind of feeds into the rivalry to me. It does. I just wanted to, I wanted to comment on that because I, I absolutely agree with Smallwood. I think having understanding the context is really important. So these schools are, are like the other HBCUs are fighting for an identity, mm -hmm. you know, and feeling it's not like today. People have to remember how important these games were because it was like the main attraction when football teams played. And then with antique and was North it a lot of college play, that was, that was a huge deal. Even, even back then, because it was one of the main forms of, 
of being tamed. Was it a recruiting tool? It was, or it was a really uh, important recruiting tool um, for both institutions in terms of, um, you know, uh, you, you, you clearly speaking beyond the gridiron. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, if you look at uh, here recently, North Carolina Central uh, went on a went on a, a run where we won three in a, a row. In fact, against A and T, uh, 2014-15-16. And uh, won the MIAC in those years in the enrollment, you know, went through the went through the roof. And, uh, North Carolina Antique here has been, you know, um, one of the most dominant uh, HBCUs in football this last decade. Mm-hmm. And you look at where Antique, how it's doing, and, and you don't want to put it all just on football, but it does matter. And, and I think Antique has been very intentional about using that. Yeah. My, my son took the tour at uh, about a month ago. He's interested in being an engineer mm-hmm. and he's got like one application. He's, I'm trying to get him to fill out more than one application. <laughs> he's, he said, okay, and I ain't about that. But, um, you know, but the, the tour uh, guide was outstanding. It was outstanding the tour. And, and she included that though. She talked about the football team and you know what it means that A&T and this free to court at that, that comes that comes out of that. But before you go on, I, I just want to mention, you know, Auntie's first coach was really outstanding. His name was Lonnie Byarm. And Byarm studied with some of the uh, great uh, coaches from the historically white institutions of that period. So he studied with Newt Rockney at, 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 uh, Notre at Notre Dame, who was an end to emphasize the forward pass. He uh, he uh, studied with uh, Robert Zupke, who was at Illinois, the guy who established the huddle. He studied with uh, Pop Warner, you know, who uh, came up with the three-point stance. I mean, so he was really an outstanding coach, and he was uh, at Ante during that 1920s period. And I think that's why they had so much success. The 1927 Aggie team was, to me, during that period, one of the best you know, that came out of this, uh, out of the state. Uh, they won the CIAA that, that year and had one loss to the eventual national title winning uh, Bluefield State team. They lost down in Winston-Salem. That's Dr. Charles Johnson. He's with the history department at North Carolina Central and he was having a conversation with Dr. Arwen Smallwood. He's the chair of the political science and history department at North Carolina A&T. But they gave us a history lesson of sorts uh, about the classic between A&T and North Carolina Central. And they mentioned the coaches and went back to the lineage and the connections with some of the uh, other great coaches across the country. And it made me think of Coach William Bill Hayes. That's the name that pops up in my mind first when I think of coaches. And uh, I'm not saying he's the most storied coach, but he was a longtime coach at A&T. And when I was growing up, I would hear his name. And I still associate with A&T. But he actually graduated from North Carolina Central, coached at Winston-Salem State, and also coached at North Carolina A&T and had several players that went on to do well and particularly some that went on to do well in the NFL and CFL like names like Timmy Newsom, he was a running back and Donald Evans, Jamal Jones and Junius Colston and uh, Kasim Mitchell and uh, I remember uh, Maurice Hicks and uh, there was one more that uh, running back, Michael Bassnight I remember uh, Spencer Gwynn and Mel Swan, you know, Bassnight going into the end zone making those calls uh, so uh, uh, we got extended interview on our YouTube channel with Coach Bill Hayes as well. So so check that out. But let's uh, go back to hearing from some of the players in the historic Aggie Eagle Classic. I can remember, and I have a photo at home, of me running the ball and a player. 
player from Central. I think he was number 50 at the time. I don't know his name. But I have a, a 20, 22 by 30, I think, photo of the player having his helmet just about falling off his head because of a hit that I delivered to him. And I think that's probably one of the most memorable points in in my my career against Central. And I've never shared that with anyone um, on Facebook because of not trying to um, diminish the player's um, talent, but I thought it was a pretty good hit. I'm sure I felt it. I don't remember it, but I was gifted that, that photo some years back, maybe 10, 15 years back, um, and I thought it was pretty neat. Don't remember it happening, but the photo brought back memories of that time. I think it was on, uh, what is Thanksgiving Day, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And um, he had a pretty good day. I was the MVP for that game. We was, uh, we beat him. I ran a 91-yard touchdown back, punt return in that game to make sure that we win. But basically, I was always one that making sure I covered down on any position that was having any kind of weaknesses or a lack of strength to be able to make sure that we win. And that's I was kind of like an old man in the child's image and body out there with you know young brothers. <laughs> That was a play I had made on the sideline, and um, I tackled one of the uh, running backs from Central, and um, it was on the sideline. A couple people got bowled over, and I still have the film on that, too. Um, a couple people got, I call it, I said bowling ball, or you got bulldozed, you know, because of the hit. And as I was getting up, one of their teammates or players actually kicked me um, no, I was down. So when we talk about the intensity of a rivalry, made a shot on the, on the sideline, in my opinion, good hit, okay. You know, maybe not from their perspective, um, but the guy didn't get back up. So, you know, I walked off and it was good, good hit to me. Um, but the guy did, one of the teammates um, did kick me on the sideline. And um, again, it was almost like um, insult to injury or adding to um, the blow they were already delivering to us. And... Um, Within a couple of plays later, um, trying to make something happen, really try to excite the fans, really try to make this game um, impactful, really try to set the tone and stage going into the next. Basically, the game was over with. So, um, Air Harvey was underneath the quarterback. I mean, was underneath the center and calling um, his cadence. And I tried to anticipate the snap count. And what actually took place uh, several plays before, I've just been going through, listening to his cadence and following his cadence. Okay, all right, here we go, here we go, here we go. All right, we call a stunt. This is an opportunity I can give. You know what I mean? And um, I went airborne from a middle linebacker position, and they did not hike the ball. And it was too late to stop. So in midair, um, they didn't hike, hike the ball. I had a collision with Errol, um, Air Harvey, and um, pretty much all hell broke loose. 
dove over the center, went up top, hit the quarterback, um, got through, dodged a couple of their teammates, what have you. Earl went down, and fight broke out. So benches cleared from both sidelines, and um, that's probably one of the most memorable um, plays of um, my my career. So um, with that being said, it was not intentional. Um, tried to anticipate the, uh, uh, the, the snap count. But I, I cannot sit here and honestly say that I was not fueled by the athlete who kicked me when I was on the sideline. To me, it wasn't it wasn't any different. Um, we played our first game at Carter Finley in the Aggie Eagles, um, and so going and experiencing or being closer back to um, Eastern North Carolina, where my family could come and, and see my first game, it was one of those things where. Um, I think it was a, a almost a full circle moment in that they were able to see that oh yeah, mama's baby is is really really going off to college and is playing football, and so I was more intrigued with I think looking up in the stands and finding my mama and seeing where she was than than being nervous more say about what was ahead of us. One of my best friends was in North Carolina Central's band from um, my high school. Uh, that was 1800 Seabrook Road back in Fayetteville, North Carolina, E.E. E. Smith High School. So I knew he was coming into the stadium with the big hat, a whistle, uh, the mace, and a cape as the drum major of uh, North Carolina Central's band. So I knew he was getting ready to bring a band that was going to show out and do what all he had to do to make the crowd respond. So I knew that was personal for me, and I knew I couldn't let him come in and just take over the A&T's crowd from our band. So me, after he got through performing his halftime show, I knew I had to jump over the, the hurdle and, uh, and give it to him with my hat, my whistle, my cape, and my, and my mace, and just outdo his performance. It was an experience that lasts a lifetime. He and I were our best friends, but it was still competitive. We had to make sure that our show was the absolute best. And and I, we raised the bar. We had the crowd to their feet. So it was a wonderful experience for me, something I never forget. And right after the halftime show, we had a halftime break. And at that break, we both met up uh, uh, on the track in our uniforms and uh, we embraced each other, not seeing each other for a period of time, and just compliment each other's show and did a little bragging and, and all that kind of stuff. But in some kind of way, it was a nice picture taken, and that picture is, is seen quite often in our A&T uh, Central halftime show battles uh, throughout the years. And I'm proud that that picture still exists, and, and I get calls all the time about that particular picture. But I will never forget that experience. It was one of my best friends on the other side of the field. And, and we was going at it. And I know what he was going to bring. And I had to bring more. And, of course, we had to show up for Dr. Hobbs.
that that's a momentum stopper right there or Turner. Yeah, I think that was a big play by North Carolina ATA able to come up with their fumble. And of course Central have the outward pass after center. And a lot of football players instead of falling on the ball trying to pick it up. They never made some happen consequently that left the door open for the Aggies, so they have it first and ten on Central thirty eight. I was in the bind in the middle of the year, so I said, Mel, how about uh, you coming over and uh, you had some a athletic experiences. Why don't you come over and do, do the cover for me for the rest of the year? Well, he did. And uh, at the end of the year, I always called him Henpeck with his wife because his wife kind of ran things. So I said, mm -hmm. so we were on the plane on the way back home. And so I told Mel, I said, well, Mel, I guess since uh, Gene let you broadcast uh, this game, it's probably your last game. And, and, you know, we're in the plane. And he said, oh, no. He said, I love doing this. So I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to be doing this next year, too. Okay. And that was really the beginning of how he got started. So I had been doing this maybe 10 or 12 years before Mel. You know, Mel, was, we were always friends, and he lived with me for a while, so that's where that all came about. Right. But he, uh, he did that and um, became who he became. And uh, uh, just of those that don't know, he um, was instrumental in the integration of, of schools in Guilford County. Yeah, he uh, was in, in the Greensboro the, City. He was in the central office. He, uh -huh. was, he, was a, he was a decision maker. Okay. And so there's currently a school that's named after him where my daughter attends. Right. Swan Middle School. That used to be called ACOP Middle ACOP, School. right. Absolutely. You were just listening to Spencer Gwynn. Before that, you could hear a brief call of uh, an Aggie Eagle game. Don't know the year. And as I mentioned before, they called over 50 years worth of games. I wish I knew the total number of games. I used to know. I just can't recall it at the moment. But remarkable men, uh, Mel Swan, Dr. Mel Swan Jr. and Spencer Gwynn were both educators by trade. Spencer Gwynn, we have an extended interview with him on History Notes that you can check out. And he talks about his career, talks about how he called the games uh, and played in the games. He was an Aggie Hall of Fame uh, punter and also played fullback, uh, but went on to call over 50 years worth of games along with Dr. Mel Swan, both educators by trade. In that extended interview with Spencer Gwynn, you can hear him, how he matriculated through his career. And uh, I'm especially interested in how he talked about uh, just fine-tuning the craft of listening and how that helped out his career. And he brought that to different aspects of his, of his life. He has a wonderful wife. Uh, I had a chance, he invited me to the home, I had a chance to talk to him. He came in, did an interview. And uh, just listening to he and his wife is a book unto itself. Uh, but speaking of Dr. Mel Swan, as I mentioned, I uh, take kind of personal pride in, in Dr. Swan. As I mentioned, my daughter uh, went to Swan Middle School. Uh, but uh, the former Charles B. Acock Middle School was renamed after longtime educator uh, Dr. Melvin C. Swan Jr. in a dedication ceremony back in August of, I believe it was 2017. It was around 2016 where the Guilford County School Board took up uh, the charge to rename the school. Just like uh, only about a week after the University of North Carolina at Greensboro voted to remove the name Charles B. Acock from its auditorium. And uh, Swan, he spent 36 years in the Greensboro City school system, now Guilford County Schools, of course, and he helped the former city and county school districts merge in 1993. And uh, during his time, he had a lot of administrative positions as principal, assistant superintendent, associate superintendent, and eventually held the uh, second highest ranking. Uh, he had the spot in the school system as deputy superintendent and uh, was instrumental in when the schools uh, integrated. And so um, just want to give you a little bit of backstory about these guys, uh, these two gentlemen, and what they brought to the Aggie Eagle Classic. You know, it was more than just sitting and observing and 
Colin uh, describing what was happening on the field. They uh, were true educators and uh, always had their students' interests at heart and they, they brought that to that field. They, they made it a learning experience. And so we're gonna get back into the episodes here and, and talk a little bit more to the players. We're gonna uh, kickstart it off this latter half of the podcast with uh, Alan Hooker. I uh, love hearing from him. He was a Hall of Fame quarterback, played a little bit in the NFL as well. We got the ball on our 30 going out and I, we're chipping it. We're knocking it down and we're getting there. And I'm looking at the clock and we got about a minute left to go in the game. But it's third down. Color player, I roll out to the left. I got a receiver in the corner on the scramble drill and I throw it to him. Robert Massey is three quarters away at the other goal, on the other side of the other goalpost. Runs all the way to the corner of the end zone. Dies. Picks off the pass. Game over. When I think about Antion Central, it's bitter for me. Right. So I think about that. And every time I see Massey, I remind him of how much disdain that I do have for his athleticism. Right. <laughs> With the Ante Van, um, exciting. It was full of energy. Just marching from Fraser Hall through the campus, Ante's campus, and seeing everybody headed toward the stadium. And the band is creating this parade atmosphere and the uh, pep rally environment and just getting into the stadium. I mean, that was a nice march and and enjoying that time, just getting there. Uh, And then that experience in the stadium in itself was just overwhelming for me, my first time as a freshman. And just to see uh, these, you know, players, the crowd, cheerleaders, and of course, being in the band where we sat and just enjoyed that whole experience and it was just a phenomenal experience uh it it, it turned into what i would say a, a complete event and i just loved it ever since well uh we uh uh, uh, uh the year in 75 was when we uh was won MAC championship, you know. I never will forget it. Uh, we ended up being co-champions because our nemesis then was South Carolina State. We had a hard time getting past them. We got past South Carolina State. We beat them. Central was the last game. South Carolina State beat Central, and we lost to Central. That's what made us co-champions. Wow. <laughs> yeah, never forgot it. significance for the HBCUs, especially North Carolina A&T, and, and, and where we have moved is, is very significant. I believe that North Carolina A&T has raised the bar and, and become one of the institutions on, on the global stage now. I think that we are all over the place throughout the United States. Uh, we're in the White House at the moment. We, we're in Tokyo at the moment. We are... We are you know, doing our thing everywhere and, and, and the, the competitive edge that we have as well. Uh, the athletes are um, all over the place with uh, Celebration Bowl. You cannot say Celebration Bowl without saying North Carolina a uh, You know, the competitiveness that we have, not just in our academics and in our athleticism, is just over the top. And of course, you know, uh, uh, we're just a global name. You cannot say it nowadays in, in, in North Carolina a university without saying North Carolina A&T, Duke University, Chapel Hill, A&T's name is there. We've always been there, but it's, it's shining brighter. So I think uh, we're doing our, our job as, as a 
institution and we are definitely moving ourselves to the next level all the time. But like I said, bragging rights, um, I would have uh, family and friends that went to Central come down from, you know, Virginia and other places, fly in just to, you know, come to the game. Um, really, really, really took it to heart. So that made me take it to heart because I didn't want to hear nobody bragging about Central beating A&T for a whole year. And so we had to do what we had to do. Because it really goes back to how strong we've always been or this rivalry's always been. And I think it's going to continue to live even though we're in the Big South. Because during my era, we were in the NEAC, they were in the uh, CIAA. And um, they, were, they were tops at times in the CIAA. So I think it's important for us to keep the rivalry going and encourage Central to do well outside of this game. We want them to be the best team in the MEAC. Because as we strive to be the best team in the Big South, when we come together, it gives us more to talk about. And the more we talk about the rivalry, the more relevant our institutions come. Our grandchildren get to hear about the rivalry. Our friends and families in our community get to hear about all the great alum and the emotions that go into these two fantastic sister institutions. God do in and through me makes me who I am. And so I didn't need no uh, image identity other than being a, a good brother and a believer. And so that's where I was raised and trained. Met my wife in the sixth grade, Carver High School. Walked on up, holding her hand. She went to Winston Salem State. And uh, I came on the ANT because Mr. Williams brought me over here and said, No, you don't go to school here. And so those people that I had a lot of love and respect for, whatever they instructed me to do that went outside of the rules and regulations of normality or the laws of God, yeah, that's what I did because. I have to depend on humanity for my survival. And, and, and that's the way I was trained. And, and, and to be an Aggie, uh, you just have to, to, to know what we are doing here in these on this campus, uh, the fun that we have, but the serious, the serious uh, attitudes that we have to go get that degree, but have fun at the same time. I mean, that was the best decision I've ever made in my life to become an Aggie. A&T gave me a, a foundation outside of my family in that it was the first time I was away from Halifax County living. And it gave me a, a, a perspective of life and how life, um, how life is, is so precious and valuable. And I'm thankful for my time here because of that foundation it propelled me to go on and, and, and continue to build on those values that my mom instilled in me in Palmyra. And so um, at ENT, I was able to meet my wife. And because of that, we have two, two girls and, and I'm thankful for my time here. It's, it's exactly what it is. I mean, what they say, you hear me say, you can't say Aggie without pride or, you know, we have a pride before Aggie, you know, and, um, that being said, it's just something that, again, it's one of those innate behaviors, you know, it's just it's just something that lies within you, a certain pride, a certain aura uh, when you walk into a room um, and you know that you have that um, Aggie support, that Aggie foundation behind you. North Carolina a has prepared not only myself, but several thousand people uh, before as well as, you know, after me for life. And I do not think there's another institution that I could have had the opportunity to attend 
that would have prepared me for uh, life as much as Angie had. I get really emotional when I talk about what Auntie has done, not just for me, but for so many people that I've witnessed and I've learned from. They've improved their lives, their families' lives, and uh, they've touched the world. I mean, you look at our guys that's running track right now. There are people across the world who would have never known that the interlock at AT means that you come to 1601 East Market Street and you're going to be able to get a meal. You're going to be able to meet somebody that can make your dream come true. You're going to meet somebody in the administration that's going to help you with your financial aid. When you're struggling with mental health and those things, there's always somebody around that has a story like yours that can encourage you to do that. So, um, Ben and Aggie for me is uh, life changing. The story of more than just a game, the history of the Aggie Eagle Classic. That's been the uh, topic of what we're talking about on this episode of History Notes. I want to thank uh, Seam Rahim Razak, formerly Willie Pearson Jr., played in uh, 1965 through 69, Dexter Feaster, Demetrius Harrison, Richard Lyde, Maurice Mo Smith, Alan Hooker, Roosevelt Pratt Jr., Spencer Gwynn, Dr. Mel Swan Jr., Dr. Charles Johnson, and Dr. Arwen Smallwood. Hopefully I didn't forget anyone. And uh, all the folks at AT that helped put this together. And uh, it was just fun researching this and realizing how deep the roots are when it comes to this classic. Uh, it was a part, uh, the time I'm filming or taping this, recording this, uh, 2022 in September. And so we just had the Aggie Eagle Classic. It was a part of the Duke Mayo Classic in Charlotte this year. And uh, Central got the the best of the game, the, the better hand over AT. They won. So. Um, didn't like that too much, but congratulations to Central. And so for years to come, this thing is going to go. And I remember what Alan Hooker said uh, on one of the interview portions that didn't quite make this cut. I didn't have it as part of this podcast, but uh, you can get it on YouTube. If you go to the Greensboro History, um, greensboroshistory.org, select the YouTube channel, or just go to YouTube and put in a search for the Greensboro History Museum and pull up more, more than just a game, the history of the Aggie Eagle Classic. But in it, uh, Alan Hooker talks about the integrity of documenting these stories and passing them on so that your grandchildren uh, can hear these stories and maintain the integrity and the importance and the history that is made uh, in these rivalries. Because oftentimes people don't look upon it as history, you know, it's marginalized, uh, but it is. And it dates back to 1922, as we heard Dr. Johnson and Dr. Small would say. So I uh, appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this History Notes episode. Get your History Notes episode wherever you get your podcast, And you can also, again, check it out on our website, greensborohistory.org. And uh, let us know what you want to talk about, what you want to hear. Uh, I'm trying to cover a, a, a wide gamut of, a gamut of topics. And so I uh, thank you for your time. And until next time, uh, farewell. This has been Rodney Dawson, your History Notes host from the Greensboro History Museum. Thank you for listening.